Service Sunday. There will probably have some people that will be coming in forgetting that it was one service Sunday, and that's okay. Don't turn around and look at them, okay? <laughs> it just makes them feel awkward. They just go, what, the, what happened? No, we are blessed that you're here this morning, especially having our youth with us. And before we uh, open up with a word of prayer, um, I, we probably, do we have any pictures of my, my granddaughter? This is one service Sunday. This is a family service. We've got her. This is... This is the newest addition of our family. That's Audrey Ann. She spells it A-U-D-R-E-E, Ann Davis. And, uh, she was born last Wednesday, 8.37 in the morning, 9 pounds, 11 ounces. And uh, she's beautiful, as you can see, most beautiful. Some people say that, you know, their grandchildren or children are... <laughs> I mean, I even got to say, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, baby, baby. But uh, we're really blessed. And thank you so much uh, for the prayers. Yeah, this is Charlie, her older brother, and Audrey. And just a, just a few. We're only going to have five minutes to get in the Word here. So just enjoy, just enjoy these pictures with me. Look at the lips on that. It's like a heart. My wife loves hearts. She looked right away. That's a that's a happy Oma right there. That uh, yeah, she was very very. I, I wish. I mean, I was so mad at myself. I wish I would have had my camera out when they told us that it was a girl because she'd been praying, hoping that it was a girl, and the look on her face was priceless. And and I was just looking at my wife. It's kind of like when there's when we do weddings. You know, you'll see some people will be looking at the groom and some are looking at the bride and you'll see women all of a sudden when the, when the bride walks into the, the sanctuary, all of a sudden they look at the groom and they want to see, is he going to, is he going to cry? Is he, you know, is, is he radiant? And, and I'll tell you this, if you're not married yet, if you start crying, you win the heart of every woman in that service when your bride comes down. But my wife, just the expression on her face, it reminded me of that. There was just a, this overwhelming sense of joy uh, that we have one daughter and for our daughter to have a daughter it was just you know it's one of those exciting things as a parent and I appreciate so much uh, Tink filling in and John and it's always nice uh, to know wherever you go that there's just guys that are not just capable probably more capable and uh, who love you love our church and I'm blessed that they're able to to now, I don't say fill in, just continue on as we go. This morning, um, if you have a Bible handy, I want to encourage you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10 this morning. I titled this Families on Mission, and it's, it's been something that's been real troubling to me, and, and I'm going to give you a statistic here. It's really interesting, I think will be to you. Uh, when you think about millennials, millennials are those age between in the 20s and 30s, um, there was an article that was uh, put out by Barna Research Institute that uh, was done in conjunction with uh, Baptist News Global. If you know one thing about the Baptists, they're really good at counting everything. And they keep really good statistics, and, and they're, they're pretty credible in the, in the statistics they come out with. And uh, it was just this last uh, month that uh, it was stated that 6 out of 10 Six out of 10 millennials, those in their 20s and 30s that were raised in church have walked away from their faith and are lo no longer participating uh, in organized religion. Now, you can't answer the question of, you know, uh, are they still walking with God or, you know, are they just on hiatus? 
But that's a real troubling uh, statistic when you think about that. Six out of 10 were walking away. And, and it was one of those things where as I began to pray about it and to just do research on my own and have conversations with some of our own young people and pastors alike that uh, do youth ministry and college ministry and trying to, you know, understand, you know, really where is the heart, of, you know, of the, the pulse of, of our kids today. I was really blessed that we were coming into a one service Sunday that we could talk about this because, uh, again, what I've discovered, you know, through the years and being a youth pastor and now a senior pastor is, you know, you can bring your kids to church, but that was never, never God's really ultimate design. His design was always that we would bring our children to God. And there's a big difference between bringing your kids to church. You know, we, we have people that bring their kids and drop them off for ministries. And, and, and the greatest impact, though, of, of your, in your children's life is going to be that of, of mom and dad. And that's why I love having a, a one-service Sunday. You know, I, I love every time that we have an opportunity to sit as a church family together. Because if there's maybe an area where the church has failed in this, uh, I mean, across the board, not just, you know, Calvary Chapel, Bakersfield, we have, through the years, because of, you know, following uh, teaching models, and, and I do, oh, I don't want to, I want to make sure that I'm clear on this. I believe in segregated ministry. I believe that, you know, children learn best uh, at a level that's designed for them, just like youth and adults. And, but there's also an opportunity that we have to be able to bring the entire family together and to worship together so that our children see us. If they only saw their, their peers worshiping on every level and all of a sudden then we go, when you get to be an, an adult, then you go into the sanctuary, you know. Um, that's not the way that God intended it to be. And, and even in situations like this, you know, if you have a child, you know, that's, that's making people go, oh, you know, the child's making noise, get the baby out of the sanctuary. And you go, no, we need to learn how to adapt. And I'm not saying every single time that we come together. But if we, if we push people away, then people will never come to a saving knowledge of Christ. There's going to be families through the years. And, you know, you could sit with any of our pastors or elders or guys that have been around a long time. And, you know, we've come up with man-made rules through the years that, you know, today, man, I would repent openly and ask you and if I could see those people again for forgiveness. And, you know, people don't have an understanding when they come to church, you know, of all these, you know, just like I, I tell you all the time, we have this opportunity to, to be a Pharisee. There's a Pharisee that's in every one of our hearts. And sometimes because we have a desire to, you know, do ministry at a certain level or, you know, what we deem as effective. We come up with our own rules and our own regulations that really aren't in scripture. And sometimes it has to do with this as a church comes together. You don't see anything in, in scripture where it said, send the children over to the nursery and put the, you know, little children in, you know, a classroom and then the youth and that, and, and just segregate them. Though I do believe, and like I said, and I, I don't want to downplay that. I do believe that there is a place and there's a time for that. But there's also a time for this, the thing that we're doing today, that we'd come together and we would put up with any noise, any distractions, because there's a love, a genuine love, one for another. I mean, if you, I mean, how many like Thanksgiving? I guess I'll just cut to the chase right there by a show of hands. Do you like Thanksgiving? Usually at Thanksgiving, if you have a large family, I mean, we're not sitting around at Thanksgiving, everybody's just going, it's usually organized, what I'd call organized chaos, right? 
It's just loud, and you know, you go, but there's something there, and you go, oh, it's, it's, that's kind of exciting, you know, that everybody's together, and there's something about that. I mean, can you imagine, you know, during, in Jesus' day, you know, again, they met from house to house. Imagine, you know, the, they didn't have super secret soundproof rooms. I mean, you had the cattle outside, you know, maybe you, you know, if it was a really good sermon, then maybe the cattle in unison would go, like, amen, you know, or something, you know, along with it. But, but there was working through all the distractions that, you know, could come up. And so, you know, as we look at some scripture this morning, you know, I'm just blessed, you know, that as a church family, you know, I appreciate Larry so much in incorporating, you know, and I know you guys do as well. And you look up and it's not just, you know, We've got uh, the adult sanctuary worship team. We've got our youth that are incorporated into it. And you see the passion. That, that's one of the things that I think makes it so exciting is that you see, you know, there's just a genuine love for God. And, and one of the things I love is, you know, when we have people that come into the life of our church and they're new, they haven't been around. We, we haven't educated them how to you know, be Bapticostals yet. And uh, so they come in and, you know, they're, they're listening to the worship and at the end of the song, they're just going, praise God! You know, and everybody's going, what are you doing? It's like, you know, it's like having that freedom of expression, you know, to, to worship the Lord. You know, you'll hear Larry share that sometimes that, you know, when you come in, I mean, if you feel like standing, then stand. If you feel like kneeling, kneel. We all start, you know, standing, but, you know, again, whatever the thing is that God would lead you to do, and if even if he called you to come up to this altar here and, and just to repent of your sin and to open your heart to him. You, don't, you have to wait for somebody to go, you know, um, hey, if you are here today and you need Jesus Christ, you know if you need Jesus Christ. And he's here, his word says, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, that he's there in the midst of us. And I love when there's just that, that freedom to allow uh, the Holy Spirit to move, you know, in our midst. And so, it's these kind of services that really, it kind of pushes us out of even our own comfort zone because we're doing that. Our ushers are going, okay, uh, today, you know, we're just let everybody in. And, and it's not chaos, it's family. And there's, there's a big difference there. So I, I hope that, you know, as we worship the Lord here through his word, that he would speak to us about really what ministry is, that it isn't about coming to the church, you know, that, that we would walk away today with a greater understanding that each of us, we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And so it isn't that kids wouldn't be coming here per se. It's that what we really need to understand and know is that God has called us to go out there and to impact the world for him. It's not something that we need to do. And I'll talk more about this in a moment, but it's really something that we are. Christianity isn't a do, it's a be. It's, we, are, we are Christians. You know, we don't do Christianity. And I think maybe that's part of the message that the millennials are sending back, that they don't, they don't want to do you know, church in that regard, that it's an institution or just an organization. But if it's truly a living body where we see in the book of Acts where there's a genuine love for one another and there's that, that sacrifice. And you, know, and you think of the, the, the concept of forgiveness. I mean, you know, as I share all the time, you know, forgiveness is a novel thing until you have to put it into practice. And, and, you know, so we can be the most guilty in the body of Christ, and unless, the, of course, the person's coming to salvation, but just to forgive one another, you know, as, as God has forgiven us. And so, so many things, you know, that are on my heart to share with you today. Just want to take a moment here and pray with you and pray that the Lord would just uh, give us some clarity of thought as we look at a few passages of Scripture. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, this morning, I thank you for the oldest saint to the youngest baby that's here. And uh, Lord, I thank you that we get to look around and, and Lord, we get to see the body of Christ. 
Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, for just the privilege that you give us to come together and to serve you and to love you, to sing your praises, to experience your grace in our life. We love the Lord, just the, the worship set today and just the way that you moved in it. And may it just massage deep inside of our hearts and may we take it with us today. That we don't separate it and look at the, that the singing is what prepares our, our hearts for your word. It's, Lord, it's all worship. Singing is worship. Your word is worship. Giving is worship. Serving, listening. God is all an act of worship. And may everything we do today bring glory to the name of Jesus. That, that's why we're here. Lord, we believe that when we lift you up, that you will draw men to yourself. And we pray today, just as, as Larry was leading us in worship, that if there's anyone here today that hasn't received you as Savior and Lord, they wouldn't leave this place today without opening their heart to you. That your grace, Lord, is here. Your grace is sufficient. They can receive your grace today, Lord, if they need it. And so, Lord, we thank you. We look forward to all that you'll do. We just give you this time. We pray that you would bless the fellowship afterwards. Thank you for those that uh, will stick around and enjoy a meal together. Uh, Lord, may you just knit our hearts together. May we truly live out this faith that we say we believe. May it become really active in each of our lives, we pray, for the glory of God and our good. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying amen. 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 Um, in Luke chapter 10, you know, the parable begins with a, it's an, a lawyer who comes to Jesus who tries to, to trick him, tries to trip him up. And the, the reason this came to mind is uh, it, was a, it was a week or so ago, I was uh, just awakened by the Lord. It was just a little after 1 a.m. in the morning. And I was laying in bed and I was just, I had numerous conversations, you know, that day and the last week about um, just our homeless population and the struggle that many are having and, you know, uh, trying to minister and to deal with uh, uh, the homeless population that we have, trying to figure out how do we effectively, you know, uh, minister to their needs. And because I, I found in, in my own life, as I shared with you, you know, I, I, I've devoted a lot of my time to trying to minister to uh, our homeless population. And it's in I, I've met some, some really neat people. I get to hear some, some tremendous stories, but I've found that I'm not very effective, I, you know, at least from my own measurement, you know, that I feel like I get through from, if I talk to 25 people, I might get through to about one person. And I, and, and I was praying, and it wasn't that I faulted them. I was, I was asking the Lord, I said, you know, God, are they, are they uh, you know, as frustrated in, in trying to get out of their addiction or the situation that they're in as I am with myself trying to find a way to effectively help them. And, and it was interesting because when the Lord works, he, you know, he doesn't just always, you know, pat you on the back. I wish that he did, <laughs> but sometimes you don't need a pat on the back. And that was one of those moments. I didn't need a pat on the back, but I did. But it started, you know, the Lord just woke me up and, and immediately made me look at this passage of scripture here. And, and, and like I said, the, it was interesting when, as I started to read it, because I knew the Lord prompted it, but I didn't know why. I, I knew it was on my heart, but I didn't know why the Lord led me to this. And so I began to, to read it. And like I said, just to kind of give you a paraphrase of it, you know, is this, this lawyer is trying to trip Jesus up and he's asking him a question about eternal life. And instead of Jesus, you know, answering the question, Jesus turns around, he asks a question. And to his credit, the, the attorney will he'll answer the uh, 
question appropriately. You can pick it up there in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25, and it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and he tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell amongst the thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, he wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on to the other side. Now, the reason the priest did that was because the priest had already gone through the ritual of, of cleansing, and so he needed to be cleansed, and he needed to be pure in order to do his work there at the temple. So since he was already, his hands were clean, so to speak, he wasn't going to get them dirty. Otherwise, he was going to lose his rotation uh, in his service, and his rotation in his service in the temple was more important to that priest than it was helping this person. Okay, so you, you get that. He says, and uh, likewise, he said, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed on on the other side. So he kind of just, you know, it's like, okay, Levites, okay, we, we don't necessarily have dealings with this. And again, this all stems from their religious convictions here. And he says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, it says he had compassion. So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. So it was his animal, not, not the guy's animal. And he says, and on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell amongst the thieves? And the attorney answers and he says, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus answered and said to him, go and do likewise. And, and so as I was reading that story and I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, okay, what, what, is, what is the, you know, the point, Lord, that you're wanting to communicate, you know, with me? And really my struggle with this was the understanding of as I, you know, walk through this was the realization, you know, that he had... I know when I, especially trying to minister to our homeless population, and I've invited you, and you guys have done a wonderful job, as Tink mentioned, whether it's, you know, blanketing Bakersfield with love or providing sleeping bags or buying coffee over in the coffee house and us being able to buy, you know, socks and hats and gloves and all kinds of things, just being able to minister to people as they have need. Um, you know, I, I, I know that we do a lot of different things, you might say. And, and, I, and the, where, the, where the Lord was ministering to me is that wasn't something that he was being magnified in. He was using this to show me that, you know, you can do a lot of stuff, you know, just do a little bit. And I think that's what we were doing, or I was doing. I won't say you. I don't, I don't know what you personally do when it comes to sharing your faith or being actively involved in the lives of other people. But I found myself doing a lot, but not, not focused, you know, on a person's life taking them as this story of the Good Samaritan ends up rolling out is that here, you know, I've shared with you numerous times, you know, this quote that, you know, nobody can serve everybody, but everybody can serve somebody. 
And I think what's happened is we've, we've made so many things difficult when it comes to serving, you know, other people. And so for me, you know, the Lord just brought this to mind to teach me a real valuable lesson was here in the story of the Good Samaritan, what did you have? You had a, you had a, a man who came along who was going on about his business and saw somebody that was in tremendous need. He didn't say, you know, sometimes, and this isn't putting, you know, down anything that you or I might have done in this regard. Like, you know, you come up and you go, hey, I see somebody that's in need. You, hey, here's five bucks or here's 10 bucks or here's 20 bucks or the mistake I made one time, you give out a hundred bucks thinking that I was, you know, that it was a 10. You go and you go, and so you're, you walk away and you kind of feel good about yourself. You know what I'm saying? You go, I, I feel good. I think I, I helped that person. But then you think, did you really help the person? And, and what the Lord had brought to, to my mind as I was, I was laying there in bed and then as I read that story was that what God has called all of us to do isn't to try to reach the entire world. No, but nobody can reach everybody. Jesus, church, even when he walked on this planet, he didn't touch every single person other than when he went to the cross, his sacrifice of his death was sufficient for all of humanity, all who had come to him. So yes, in one sense, did he, but on a personal basis, no, there were still people that went hungry. There were still people that weren't healed. There were still people that were dying. There were still people that were struggling and hurting, but you know, everybody that came to him, the Bible says he healed and he touched. And so, so the conviction for me, you know, in this was, you know, wasn't then it was a change of heart. Instead of trying to do a lot of things was going, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to, the people that I come in contact with the, what we would all experience in our life, those divine appointments that I would just try to, as I'm praying, go, Lord, I know you're not leading me to everybody. And I have to accept that. What I want to be led is of your Holy Spirit to the person or the people that you're leading me to. That means I have to learn how to wait on God. And I can tell you, I'm not really good at waiting, you know, I hate stoplights, you know, and I always pull up the one that's broken, you know, or I get skipped. You ever get skipped? That's like, like one of the worst things in the world, you know, that it goes around and you're there and you're, and you're, and then it's just, and you know, it's God, you know, and you, it's like, but to have that heart and go, Lord, but what I want to do is I want to be effective with that one. I want to see it all the way through to the end. That, that was really the message, you know, of the good Samaritan. You know, and, and I put in bold prints here, you know, the, the question that I, I'm focusing on in my own life is, am I willing to love this person as I love myself? You know, the second command was love, you know, one another. Love, you know, we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And you go, wow, am I willing to give that kind of love, that kind of consideration? Will I seek their care all the way through until they're healed just like I would hope that they would do for me? Now, I could think of so many instances, you know, of, uh, you know, being in need. I remember, you know, a time when I was moving and, and uh, you know, I'd called some friends and I said, hey, you know, can you help me move? I know, you know, this is the worst thing in the world, calling and asking, you know, for help when you're moving. It's just something about moving. It's just, it's not fun. And you, get, you always get that you know, a few people, they go, hey, you know, yeah, I can give you an hour or so, you know, and they'll come over for like an hour, you know, and, and then you get the person that just goes, yeah, you know, I'll be there. And they show up at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and they ride that pony with you all the way to the end. 
and people come and people go, and they do. They give what they can, you know, and stuff. But, that, but the things that stand out in our minds are those people that see it all the way through to the end, that have that kind of a heart. And that was the kind of heart that the Samaritan had, you know, for this injured person. And so I started thinking about, you know, like the things that I do. And I go, I know that, you know, I, oh, I'll give somebody 20 bucks or I'll go buy them food and I'll engage in a conversation. But, but they're still on the street, you know. They're, they're still an addict. They're still dealing with, you know, whatever the thing is they're dealing Am I willing to, and I've had to, you know, that's been my own conviction. I mean, it's why the Lord has been working in my own heart to deal with these type of things. You know, and so you find yourself, you know, then being confronted with that. And I realize, you know, how much, you know, grace I need in my life, uh, you know, to love like Jesus loves. I mean, to, to truly have his kind of heart for humanity, you know, because we, we come up with, you know, we're educated. So we come up with reasons as to why we shouldn't help people, you know, and that's the Pharisee in me. We, we start coming up with the list of things. Well, you know, a man who doesn't work, you know, shouldn't eat, you know, da, da, da. And you go, that's biblical. You go, and if we just did that across the board, you go, you don't even have to think about it. But see, the difference is we have the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that God causes the rain to fall on both the good and the evil. And so somehow, some way, you know, God takes care of us and he sometimes blesses us just to draw us into a deeper relationship with himself. What I've found, you know, is over the course of these few weeks, you know, uh, and I wrote this down, you know, it's not a destination. It's the journey where the action is. See, the destination's secure if you're in Christ. Heaven's our home. We're one day closer than when we first believed, but there's a reason. Have you ever really thought about, you know, I mean, taken, and I hope you do this today, you are here for a reason. You are alive today for a reason. That is not an accident that you are alive today. There is something that God wants to do in and through your life. We, we exist, I think all of us would agree, we exist for the glory of God, amen? My life and your life are not our own. I don't exist for myself. I don't get to call the shots. He is supposed to call the shots. So our, the first prayer you know, that Jesus taught the disciples to pray was what? Not my will, but thine be done. Our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But to really think that you go, do we live that way? And so I, I'm starting to understand the struggle. You know, it isn't about the institution of the church. It's not about coming here. We're not responsible to put on, you know, programs to, to you know, okay, we're going to take this and go out. No, what we need to do is figure out how to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That there's ministry in your life. There are people in your life that only you can, you can touch, that only you have influence over. And really the question that begs to be asked, you know, is that, you think about this, you know, it's like of all the things, you know, that I, that I know today that I am a child of God and I belong to him. My life is not my own. I belong to Jesus. And there's a comfort in that because in that knowledge, I know that he's responsible for me. And so when Jesus is talking about, you know, all this anxiety and everything that people struggle through, you go, Why? Because if we really understood his sovereignty, if we really understood that God was in control, and that's what Jesus is saying, he's going, don't live like the pagans. Don't live like the people out in the world that are worried about, you know, it's, it's all about money. It's all about, you know, what you own. It's all about this. He's going, seek first the kingdom of God. He said, in his righteousness. And he said, what? All these other things will be added unto you, that God will take care of you. He, he, he's promised that. And, and again, as we come into that understanding of there's a freedom that comes with that. You know, I think of, you know, in the early church, early 
Jewish Christians. They referred to themselves as people of the way. They, that's a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3, where it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway of our God. In, in Acts chapter 11, you know, when they were in Antioch, because of the way that they lived their lives, they were first called Christians there. And they weren't called Christians because they went to church. They didn't have a church. <laughs> there, there was no church they went to. They were meeting from house to house. But it was that they realized it wasn't about doing. One, one of the great struggles, I think, that, you know, if I'm learning anything from our millennials is that, you know, they're busy. You know, you're busy. And if all of a sudden we're just going, we're heaping more things on to people making Christianity a to-do list, we failed miserably because it isn't about doing, it's about being. And that's where there's a freedom in that. When you understand I am, you are, if you're in Christ, a child of God and that you belong to him. And he wants to glorify himself through your life, not just at church on Sunday, not just if you came on a Wednesday, if you went to a certain Bible study, but that from the time that we get up in the morning to the time that we go to bed at night, that we would have connection with God, that we'd have communion with God, that we're here for a purpose. There are divine appointments. And I can get so frustrated because I try to do Christian things or things that I think, you know, again, and I, so I can mark it off a list as opposed to going, Lord, what would you have me to do? I mean, has God ever told you to go get ice cream and just sit down and do nothing, just to eat a bowl of ice cream? You know? He could. Some of you are going, no way. You go, well, you might need to listen a little closer because he does. John Corson told the story. You know, he said, he said, I had an appointment with my daughter to go get ice cream. And he said, I can tell you this. He said, and this is when Dr. Billy Graham was alive. He said, if Dr. Billy Graham called me and said, John, I'm going to be coming through uh, Oregon. I'd like to meet with you tomorrow. He said, I'm church. I mean this honestly. He'd say, I'd say, Dr. Graham, I already have an appointment. I'm going to get an ice cream with my daughter. And he goes, I wouldn't put it off. He goes, you know, people say, well, that's a lesser thing. And he goes, it isn't a lesser thing because that's what God had called me to do. It's, it isn't, you know, we go, well, but yeah, that's a chance of a lifetime. You got a photo op. And now because of social media, you go, man, you could ride that pony for months, you know, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And he goes, but to, but to spend time with my daughter because God led me to spend time with her. There, there's, that's where the joy of this life comes in. Not about performing, not about doing, but about being. And yet, you know, when I, when I think about the, the struggle today as families, and I read this quote, and, and it's one of these things that's kind of mind-boggling, and it can be offensive in one respect, and I don't mean it to be offensive, but it said, and this was, again, put out by Dr. Billy Graham, who had said one of the, the greatest hindrances to missions in the world today are Christian parents. One of the greatest hindrance to world missions today are Christian parents. And what he meant by that in the article, he's going, because what we try to do is go, well, this is what you need to do. You need to, you know, um, it's, you know, first, you know, like mom and dad, husband and wife, you know, then it's our children and then our extended family and dad. And you go, no, 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 no. You go, Jesus just said in Luke, he said, the first commandment is to do what? to love God with what? With everything that you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is going, who's my neighbor? Is neighbor necessarily a blood relative? You go, no. Some of you have even shared it. Some of you, and, and it's a great thing that you are closer to people who are not even related to you by blood. That's one of the great blessings that we have in the body of Christ. We're not blood relatives. We're spirit relatives. We've been born again by the spirit of God and we're, we become the family of God. 
And so it's one of these things that, you know, you start to understand it, that you go, well, what has God called us to do as parents? And raising our children is to understand that they belong to God. They don't belong to you. They belong to him. And our, our responsibility, our goal as parents should be is to help our children at the very earliest possible age come to hear the very voice of God for themselves. That they, too, could glorify God in their life. That a church isn't a place that you go any longer. Church is what you become because he lives in us. And it's one of the great blessings, one of the great joys, you know, that we have, you know, in the body of Christ. You think about this, before Jesus ascended, you know, into heaven, he, he left his disciples with these words, and you're very familiar with them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And he said, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So I think it's pretty safe to say, would you agree that making disciples is a high priority for all those who follow Jesus? If you believe that, raise your hand. That making disciples is a high priority of those who are following Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to do, to make disciples. Now the issue and the question that begs to be asked, how do we, how do we go about that? Some families God has called to go to the ends of the earth. He's called them to go on the mission field, but he hasn't called everybody to go onto the mission field. If you, you think about in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus, when he gives this command to his disciples, he tells them, before you go anywhere, you know, before you leave town, before you leave your house, He's talking about going to the ends of the earth. He commanded him. He said in Acts 1.8, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Now here's the key. What does it say here? You, you want to read this with me? When he says, and you'll be witnesses, what? What's that word? Two. Two. Now is there a difference between two and four? Yeah. Four is something that you go out to do. Two is something that you are. Jesus is calling us. I, mean, I hope this takes some of the pressure off you today with regard to missions. It isn't something that he's calling you to go out to do. He's going, just be who you are. Be, are, you, are you in Christ? Then be a Christian. Be a Christian every place that you go. Every conversation that you have with people, be a Christian. Now, is there a price that comes with that? And you go, oh, yeah, yeah. I crack up, you know, when people tell me, they go, hey, you know, Pastor Mike, I, 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 uh, at work, I, I told them that, you know, I was a Christian. And he goes, it's really funny. He goes, because now, you know, they don't tell me dirty jokes anymore. He goes, they, they don't cuss as much around. And when they do, they go, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and he goes, man, it's not on, you know, you don't have to, I'm like holier than thou, but you know what? I'm glad that, you know, just being a light in, in the workplace has some kind of impact. But do you get marginalized because of that? You go, yeah. And so people are going, I don't know if I want to say anything because I like fitting in. Where Jesus hasn't called us to fit in. He hasn't called us to blend in. He's called us to stand out, amen? And, and to have joy with that and not be ashamed of that because you know what hypocrisy and, you know, being fake and everything else, you go, that doesn't do anything for you, but being genuine, being real, whether people like it or not. Man, being true to God and being true to yourself, not being a people pleaser, but simply just going, you know what, I want to honor God. And so what does it look like? What does it look like in the life of those of us that aren't going abroad? 
By a show of hands, how many of you have been on the foreign mission field? Just so I get a kind of an idea here. Some of you, okay. So most of us haven't been, you know, on the foreign mission field. I mean, I have myself, but I'm just saying as a, as a congregation, many of us haven't been on the foreign mission field. And that's okay. If God hasn't called you to, that isn't it. But sometimes people go, ah, you know, I guess I'm, I'm not, you know, that kind of a Christian. You know, I'm not up here because I'm not going. We have people that go and we have people that send. If everybody went, what would happen? I mean, it'd be kind of funny. You'd have everybody from Africa flying to the California and we'd, have, we'd just, you know, or just wave as our planes passed each other, you know, in the air. You go, no, it isn't about activity. It's about identity. Like I said, it's not so much about doing, it's about being. That's the thing that the Lord wants to get through to us. It's not about doing mission. It's the recognition that we are on mission. That I'm either, I'm either as I just read to you in Acts 1.8, I'm either a good witness to him or I'm not. But it's not doing something for him. And I really hope that that sets some of you free because maybe you're living under this condemnation today. You're, oh, I'm supposed to go out and do this. I'm supposed to go out and do this and go out and do this. And you go, that isn't what God has called us to. He said, I, I've called you to be a witness to me wherever you go. From the time you get up to the time you go to bed, understand this, you are witnessing to God. Your life and my life are witnessing to God. Do I trust him? Am I obeying him? Do, am I dependent upon him? Am I even aware that he's present in my life? I mean, that's what it is, is to be a witness to him, is to live our lives in such a way that we recognize it. You know, unfortunately, you know, we all live pretty busy lives, and you think about, you know, even from the standpoint of a calendar, it's real easy to, to, and this is what happened, if you remember in Matthew chapter 11, so many of you loved hearing this. You know, when Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he said, come unto me. And he said, I'll give you rest. He said, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And you remember why he said that, right? I said to you, there was two groups of people there that day. There were the Gentiles and there was the religious Jews. And he was looking at the Gentiles. He wasn't looking at the religious Jews. He goes, if you're tired of trying to live by all the rules, if you're trying, if you're tired of trying to keep all these standards that these guys are telling you you got to live by, and they don't even live by it themselves, but they're putting it on you. And he goes, and you're really tired of that? He goes, then come to me because I'll give you grace. I'll, I'll give you rest because I'm not trying to get you to go out and do things. What I want and what he's desired then is what he desires today. It says, when he called the disciples, he called them to himself, to be with him. You know that God wants you to be with him? I, I, was, I was sharing with a couple of people last week. It was uh, such a, a, a beautiful picture of God's love, you know, for us. And, and I was sharing with Cheryl in particular about Danielle was a thought that, that I'd had as, as I was reading this, this particular story. And it had to do with, um, you know, someone being taken home to heaven, what we would say was before their time. And I was, I had never watched it before, but it was John Corson doing the, the memorial service for his daughter, Jessie, who was 16 when she went home to be with the Lord. And I thought, out of all these years, I'd never watched that devotional or that, that uh, memorial service. But I was on YouTube watching uh, the one on Peter John, his other child, and that was below it. And so I watched it. And he said something that was so profound, though, and, he, and with such peace. And here's a, here's a dad that, you know, his 16-year-old daughter has gone to be with the Lord, and he's already had a, uh, his wife was killed and is home with the Lord, and now he has a, another son. And you think, what is he doing? And he's sitting there, and he's going, you know, man, she was at such peace. 
He goes, she was right there the day before morning prayer and, and communion here in our sanctuary. And she stood up and she read, you know, from Jeremiah, or said it from, from her heart to Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts I think towards you. And he said, you know, what was interesting about that? He said, that was the same passage that the Lord had given me when my wife went to be with Jesus. He said, I didn't think I'd ever even read the passage actually before that moment in time. But that, that God's purpose and plan for me wasn't to harm me, but to prosper me and to give me a future and a hope. And he goes, and she said that same thing. And he goes, and two minutes later, she was in the presence of God. And he goes, but the thing that, that, that he goes, I, I wrestled with him where I was at complete peace is he goes, I, it was like this. It was like Jesus, we know in John 14, he says, let your heart not be troubled. He said, if you believe in God, believe in me also. For in my father's house are many mansions. And if it wasn't so, he said, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you that you can be with me. And when he's prepared that place and he's ready for you, he'll come and he'll receive you to himself. And he said, the beauty of it was, and he goes, and the picture that I had in my mind was that Jesse was so comfortable with Jesus that she had invited Jesus into her house. And Jesus was so at home. There was no locked closets. There was no, you know, couldn't give her the password to their computer, you know, any, anything. He had free reign. And it was like Jesus was saying, you know what? Thank you for inviting me into your house. And man, thank you for making me feel at home. And now, you know what? I want to take you to my house. I, you know, I, I want you to come to my house. And you know when you have a relationship with somebody and they invite you over? And there is that thing, especially when you think of kids, you know, hey, do you want to come to my house? And, and as, a, as really a demonstration of love and that I care for you. And, and Jesus cares for you, church. He, the, more than anything else, he is not wanting us to get all tied up in this world. He's going, you know what? You're going to live a lot longer in eternity than you are, even if you live to be 150 years old, which I know you won't want to, you know, trust me. You know, but he's going, but I'm preparing a place and you're going to be with me. And so live this life with the joy of, of not worrying about the destination. It's secure, but it's a journey day by day where we get to know him through the circumstances. And you know what? And, and I found this out and I was sharing this last week. If you study the life of the children of Israel, the children of Israel, when were they closer to God? During times of prosperity or times of adversity? What would you say? All who believe it's prosperity, raise your hand. I don't see anybody. How many would say it was adversity? Yeah, because that's what it was. And, it, and, and here we are in our lives, you go, man, I just wish it was prosperity that made me fall in love with Jesus, but it's the adversity that drives me to my knees. It's the adversity that keeps me in this place where I'm dependent upon God, that I go, God, thank you. And so I wonder, you know, God, why do I go through these troubles? Why do I deal with these stresses and these strains? He goes, because Mike, I know you. As soon as, as soon as you just are in a place of prosperity, you would, your, your heart, your mind would go so far. And it's why he even told the apostle Paul, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so we can all say today then, for when I'm weak, I'm strong, that God is with us. And so we're going to face divine appointments. And I want you to think about this, you know, in, in hopes that, again, we're all called you know, moms and dads, that we take this to heart. I do not want to hear another story about a millennial or a child, you know, younger than that going, you know, I graduated from high school and I graduated from God. You know, it's not that we retire and then all of a sudden we, we move on to, you know, other things. You know, matter of fact, 
the beauty of retiring is I should have more time to devote myself to ministry because otherwise I've got stuff that's, you know, bogging me down. But now this freedom, freedom, and I don't mean don't travel and don't enjoy life. No, no, I'm saying do all those things because God's in all those things. The most exciting things, what I've discovered, you know, as of late is when I'm able to travel and I have my grandkids with me, they are the best evangelism tool in the whole wide world. You know why? Because people can't resist them because they're so beautiful. They're so wonderful. So people do, they come up and they start, you know, oh, they, they start having conversation, complete strangers, right? And what do you get to do in that moment? <laughs> you know, well, they're, they're very handsome or they're adorable, they're cute. Yeah, you know, Jesus is good. Boy, he has a habit of making really beautiful babies. It's just something and they go, oh, so, you know, and then it, it just segues right into some kind of conversation or into no conversation at all. You know, the people are going to let you know. But I want you to think about this, you know, because as parents, and again, it's our responsibility, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know, after the Lord, you know, he gave the, the, the Shema there in Deuteronomy 6 and, and to teach our children the law and to teach them the things of God from their rising up to their lying down, you know, at night, the ways of God. So in every way, shape, and form. And you think, well, how do I do that? You know, it's like, how do you go, well, think about your calendar right now. Think about your schedule in the life of your family. It's pretty busy, right? So you're already naturally going to places. Some of you, you know, I, I put my notes here, you, your kids are involved in sports, whether that's soccer, it could be gymnastics, swim club, you know, maybe you're involved in, you know, school PTA, uh, you go grocery shopping, there's a checkout clerk. There's a number of us here that shop at the Vons now that's over here because we have a guy in our church, Don, that's one of the checkers there. So we've kind of adopted that Vons over there and got to know the people. And so we tag team them all the time. And it's so fun to talk about, you know, uh, the people there because we'll, we'll strike up conversations with them. And so what happens is, you know, you just go in and go, hey, just, you know, came by to, you know, get some stuff and check on you and see how you're doing and da-da-da. And, and after a while, you know, they, they start to open up. I had, some, you know, some brothers tell me the other day, um, going into the prisons. He said, you know, that the Lord told him, you know, when you're going into a prison, he said, think about this. He said, God told me to give all the guys a hug on the way into the Bible study. He's like, uh, you do not hug, because all the guys go, you do not hug the guys on the way into the Bible study. He's going, I got to do what God told me to do. So he's shaking hands with all the brothers, and he goes, but you know how you do it as a guy hug? You know, you, you grab their hand, you pull them in, and then you go, pat them real quick, you know? And he goes, but that was good. And he goes, but after two weeks, he said, he had guys coming up to him and saying, I mean, think about this. I mean, you're talking about guys that are hardcore, got to be hard, got to have this this exterior, you know, demeanor that just keeps people at bay at a distance and they come up to him and go, hey, bro, I just want to thank you for, you know, thank you for the hug. You don't get a lot of those in here. And God uses those because all of a sudden it's like, you know what? The human touch, human kindness. I, I, <laughs> we had a situation here at the church no, just know this. How many understand no good deed goes unpunished? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so we open up the church for a homeless person to spend the night on our campus. Okay. Don't do this all the time. Just one of those situations. Okay. So we said, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to lock you in the building. Okay. And then if you need to go to the bathroom, unlock the door and come out and go into the bathroom and then go back in and lock the door and you'll be safe. And then we'll be here for prayer the morning at six and, and you can come to prayer and then you know, we'll get you some breakfast and you can go from there. So, okay. 
So six o'clock rolls around and coach, Mike Butler, he, uh, he says, hey, we have a little issue. And uh, I said, what's that? And he said, uh, well, um, the, the guy that spent the night last night, he, uh, he thought guys were attacking him in the building. And so he fought him off with the fire extinguisher. <laughs> so he took one of those powdered fire extinguishers and he emptied the thing in like four of the rooms, right? There was stuff everywhere. And we're just laughing. We're in there cleaning it, you know? And uh, we're just, I mean, it was a mess. And so I take all the clothes, because he tried to clean it up with his clothes. So he took his clothes off and, and clean it. So, so I go to the His Way uh, laundromat down there. So I'm, I'm washing all the clothes there. And so I'm sitting there. But I, but I get more opportunity than to talk, to talk to other people. But we're just laughing. And, uh, and it's one of those things you go, you know, and then this is when the devil's going, see, this is why you don't get involved. This is, and that's what happens. You go and think about Jesus getting involved in my life, just my life and then your life. You know, can you imagine if he lived by that? You go, no, you talk about, are we all products of an amazing grace? Yeah. Man, God's grace is so good. And so the point here is, you know, you don't, you don't need a bunch of to-dos to do. What you really need to understand as a family is that, you know, to be a family that's on mission, you don't, you don't need to have a shift in activity. What you need to have as a shift is an identity. It's not about doing, it's about being. Is remember every single day, you are a child of God. If you're in Christ today, you are a Christian. Think of that in Antioch, you know, there in Acts chapter 11, that, that we have an opportunity to live our lives out in the open day by day in front of people in, in hopes that people would go, hey, they're, they're, those, those are Christians. They're Christians. And not because of what they say, but because of what they, they do. The Good Samaritan, you know, as Jesus said, when somebody compels you to go a mile, you go the extra mile. I, I get it. We're not going to all be able to go to the ends of the earth, but you know what? There is a Jerusalem. There's a Judea. There's a Samaria. There's a place that you go every single day in your life. There's people that you come in contact with. You have members of your own family who don't even know the Lord. There, there's a starting place for each and every one of us of just to be around those people and to let our light so shine before God that they see our good works and they see Jesus in us by the way that we, and really the bottom line is the way that we care for them because Jesus put it like this and I'll close with this. He said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples because you have love for those people that are in your circle, right? No, there's a lot of people that love that way. Even in the church, it's sad. That it's very, you know, small circle. You know, it's like, well, I'll love you. Because then we go, look at that. And you go, but no, Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciple because you have love one for another. That you would just show love. And, and, and here, was the, here was the discussion. And, and the attorney was asking, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And the answer is, for me and you, is 
my neighbors, whoever I come in contact with. I could start with my neighbors. You know, do you know your neighbors? Do you know them by name? Have you had them over at your house for, for a meal? Have you shared Jesus with them? I mean, there's a great Jerusalem there in the sense of that it's not that far. You know, we don't have to go to Africa or Indonesia. I mean, we just minister to the people that are right there, people in our workplace, people that we shop with, all the places that you go. Like I said, it's just be who God has called you to be. Be a Christian everywhere you go. And as you pray, just go, Lord, I'm just praying for divine appointments today. Wherever you're going to lead me, I'm going to believe that then wherever I go, God, you're leading me. And you'll lead me to those people that you want me to share your love with. We're not, we don't have to go out there and argue with people. We don't have to debate people. There's not enough time. But there's plenty of people who need love in this world. Amen. The love of God is what I'm talking about. Not, not just, you know, that we go, oh, we, we love. You go, no, God's love. Heaven and hell are real places. And people are going to spend eternity in one of those two places is to share the love of Christ. And when you read Acts chapter 2, people skip over and they go, see, look, they, they, they had all things in common. They distributed as each one had need. And you go, wait, that was after they repented, after they heard the word of truth and they accepted it and they came into the fellowship, then they met their need. It wasn't that they just went out and just said, give it all away. No, there was a plan in that, that we would share his love, that we would love people enough to tell them the truth, that we would walk with them and that we would see it through to the end. Nobody can minister to everybody, but everybody can minister to somebody. Amen? Amen. Pray about those. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a, a, a prayer opportunity uh, for about a month and uh, where we're going to give you an opportunity to join us as a church to pray for the lost that are in our lives. We'll put a banner up here in our, in our sanctuary. We're going to do this from our children and our youth and for, for a month to make this consecrated commitment to pray for those people in our life that don't know the Lord, that God would somehow, some way use us to reach them. And then just to watch what God does. I, I believe prayer is powerful. I believe it's the most powerful thing that we have. And it's the most probably underutilized weapon in our arsenal. And so as a church, we'll commit a month to just praying and praying that God would break through into their lives. Would you join me this morning as we stand? I invite the worship team to come forward. If you're here today and you haven't received Christ as Savior and Lord, you know, you just know that you can do that right now, you know, right in your own heart. It's not you know, anything that we would say or do. It's the Holy Spirit uh, has prompted you. You know that uh, you're in need of God's forgiveness. Uh, you know there's sin in your life that, that the Lord has brought to mind and you're going, you know, I need forgiveness of that sin and he'll forgive. Jesus can give brand new life today. You could be born again today. Maybe you're here today and you've never been baptized. You know, we've got some really cold water. Trust me, you will never forget your baptism if you get baptized today. It's not heated. You might walk on water. Could be a miracle. Could happen. But hopefully you stick around and just celebrate those that are walking in obedience to God's word. And hopefully, uh, even if you didn't bring anything, we'd love to have you just stick around and enjoy some fellowship over in the cafe. And uh, just, uh, again, just let God love through you. That, that's really the bottom line today. Let him live his life through you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love in our life. We thank you, Lord, as we, we think about your word that uh, is 
Peter would write, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God, we want to live that kind of a life. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would fill us afresh with all that we would need. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love in our life. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I do pray for those today that are here. Lord, if they've yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, I pray that, Lord, you'd set them free today. That they would sense the the knocking at their own heart and they would open the door and, and say, Jesus, come in. Save me from my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to, to know you. Make your word come alive as I start to read the Bible. And then, Lord, give me the power and the strength to live victoriously over sin as I walk with you each and every day. Lord, thank you for these. Thank you for those that, Lord, will enter these waters of baptism today. And Lord, may it just be a testimony of their love. It's an outward sign of an inward change that, Lord, from this day forward, that they would just be reminded that we overcome the accuser. We always will have an accuser, but we overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony that this is part of their testimony today. And so, Lord, we ask that, uh, God, you would just have your way. Lord, help us this week have opportunity just to love you with everything that we've got and to love our neighbors as ourselves, Lord. And we ask this for your glory as we pray in Jesus' name. And again, we all agreed saying amen. Amen. Amen.